You are the bounty hunter. Who, me? Yeah, you <laughs> specifically are the bounty hunter. That is the super boring back of the box <laughs> dialogue for Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, which is the game we'll be covering today on Video Gameography, a podcast where we explore the most important franchises in history, one title at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And you heard him earlier today, folks. Uh, here he is. He's the lead community producer at Twitch, Zach Ryan. I, I broke the cardinal rule of podcasting, which is you're not supposed to talk before you're introduced. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I don't. Off to a rocky start already, gentlemen. There are no birds here. Yeah, you could say this <laughs> podcast has been corrupted. Oh, oh, very good. Perfectly thematically tied together. Yeah, we're talking about Metroid Prime 3. How do you guys feel about it? Do you guys like Metroid Prime 3? I really like Metroid Prime 3. Um, I think that it does a lot of things uh, better than Metroid Prime 1 and 2. I think it does some things worse than Metroid Prime 1 and 2, but um, I still think it, it's among... Look, when you're talking about the, the greater Metroid, or Metroid Pantheon, I think that most of those games are better than the collective of most games in general, but Metroid Prime 3, I think, is a very good game. I wouldn't call it like an amazing game, but I, I really enjoy it. Sure. And Zach, just to like set people up for... For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your, your work previously, you were at IGN. Yeah, um, I was at IGN for a long time. I was a host uh, and panelist on Nintendo Voice Chat. I, I, I think some people kind of consider me a, a Metroid expert. I'm, I'm well, that's where I was going with this. Like you are pretty, pretty out there with your Metroid fandom, right? Yeah, especially around the release of Dread. I've, I've really gotten back into Metroid and have been exploring the, the series and replaying a bunch of the games on stream and and things like that. So, um, yeah, I was, I was delighted to be invited to talk about Metroid Prime 3 here because that's one of the games that I actually have an opportunity, haven't had an opportunity to talk about a ton because it hasn't been in the spotlight for a while. Yeah, it's one of those games that I don't think there was a ton of buzz about when it came out, but it m might be one of the best Wii games, honestly. It's, it's yeah, definitely it's up there mm -hmm. for me. I don't know, Marcus, what's your history with Metroid Prime 3? Uh, very recent. So I had I didn't start playing it uh, until kind of leading up to this episode. I've had a physical copy of it for a little while. Uh, like I mentioned in the other Prime episodes, I played Prime 1, 2, as well as Fusion all in 2010 or 2011. And then I didn't get a Wii copy of, uh, excuse me, of Corruption until a few years after that. Like the Wii U, I think, was just about to come out. And I was like, oh, once I got it, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll play this at some point. But I think I was just in the middle of other games and so you know it just kind of fell by the wayside and there were times that i forgot that i owned a copy <laughs> of the last metroid prime game yeah uh, so once we were getting up to this it's like oh I, I should start playing that and so i've been playing it i am not finished with it yet i still have a ways to go um but it that game has been an odyssey one having to unpack my wii u and dig into that for the first time of years and then also using a wii remote for the first for even longer yeah um but it it is a it is a fascinating trip back to kind of the early days of the weeks that the wii was only about a roughly a year old when it came out and i'd forgotten that and so to kind of see like an early example of like how do we take an established franchise and adapt it to these motion controls that we're trying to sell um i think again i even finished it but there are some moments where it's like oh they're clearly trying to like almost as far as i feel a little shoehorned of like oh this could probably be easier but they have to try to make this make you engage with the wii controls and then there's other parts that are like okay that's kind of cool uh there's a lot of opening the door i remember like grabbing door controls and like sliding a thing and then turning it back in which yeah at the time i thought was really cool i was like oh yeah. my gosh i feel like i'm there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is kind of cool there's some parts that work better than others uh just from a pure like i guess responsiveness um but yeah it's it's like novel like okay that's that's an interesting idea like maybe it doesn't work as well as it could have or maybe it doesn't hold up now but like i appreciate the creativity if nothing else i, I think it's i think it's certainly on a curve throughout the course of your playtime with corruption right where at first like ben like you're saying you know the first few or puzzles that you solve by pulling back and twisting the locks to make them match and things like that. You're like, this is really cool. Like I, I'm, I am the bounty hunter, you know? <laughs> um, but then towards the end of the game, it's like, okay, here's another one of these doors. Here's another one of these enemies that you pull the shields off of. And I think it kind of hinders replay value as well, because once that novelty wears off, you know, 
that that kind of thing gets gets tedious over the course of the run of the game, but it's even exponentially more tedious when you go back for subsequent replays. But oh yeah, they yeah. even even in the first hour you do it several times the door stuff. <laughs> like, like I said, they really want to hammer it in, and I guess get you used to it before the adventure really starts. But I was surprised. Like okay, we're doing this again already. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that it's such a cool thing when you do it the first time that they should have just left it at that. Maybe do it like one other time near the end of the game, but don't you, you really went back to that well too many times that the, the water got rotten on us a little bit you know it's just like <laughs> nothing right, like rotten water <laughs> yep yep classic <laughs> rotten water well let's uh let's just dive into it uh we like to go through the dev history obviously a little bit you know, on the show so cast your mind back to 2007 when the game came out it came out on august 27th 2007 games of that year were the first assassin's creed Bioshock, the first crackdown, first crisis, the first Mass Effect, the first Portal, the first rock band. It's crazy how many series, iconic series started in that year. Also yeah. the first Witcher, the first Uncharted. Aside from first, Halo 3 came out that year, Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, Super Mario Galaxy. This was like a massive banger year. It's so funny because like so often 2007 comes up in the conversation of is this the greatest year for video games and all of those games you just listed are always a part of that conversation but I hadn't realized until just now rarely do you ever hear Metroid Prime 3 put into that list like it's not it's not one that jumps to mind when it when you talk about 2007 as a year for video games but it was one of the highest rated games of that year like it was really well received critically um, it's funny that time has sort of forgotten it in the in the greater scheme of things for 2007. It feels like in a weaker year, it would stand out a mm -hmm. bit more. Uh, it's almost like Resident Evil 7 and 2017, where it felt like that game didn't get its due until after the fact, because that was another strong year. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're right. We talked about Metroid Prime 2 getting overshadowed because it came out when Halo 2 and San Andreas came out. And I think the same thing happened with Prime 3 is like, I think. Prime 3 is an even stronger game than Prime 2 was, but just the sheer number of stuff coming out. You know, I was working at Game Informer. This is actually the first Metroid game I got to review for Game Informer. And just even around the office, there were so many other cool things happening that just <laughs> people, people were interested in Prime 3, but there were so many other games being played that people didn't have time to really check out Metroid Prime yeah. 3. Were you the only one kind of banging that drum in the office? Like, hey, guys, you should really check this out. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I remember. I mean, people were interested. I shouldn't say they weren't. But, you know, again, when, you know, people were playing Assassin's Creed and Bioshock and like those were games were like getting a lot of buzz. I don't know. It just got overlooked to some degree, which is sad. But we're not going to overlook it. We're here to talk about it. Right. A few other things that happened in 2007, just to kind of put your mind in that space. Uh, one of the some of the big movies were Zodiac. Gone Baby Gone, Ratatouille, and There Will Be Blood. So some decent films there. NASA launched the Phoenix Mars Lander, and then uh, New Horizons visited Jupiter. If you guys remember that. I don't know. It's kind of yeah. fun just back to 2007. What a fun year. <laughs> Good year for Jupiter. Yeah, you know, we talked about the how tired it is to like move stuff around. You get tired of doing the same door control opening thing and like ripping the shields off the guys. This stuff was cool. And then just the fact that you could look around while you're walking around like a traditional yeah. first person shooter like that, in my mind, was a big step up for the franchise. Did you guys appreciate that? I think it certainly helped Prime 3 probably age the most gracefully. And obviously, like, um, you know, the original Metroid Prime and Corruption got those kinds of controls added to them for the trilogy. But I just have recently been replaying the original Prime on GameCube. and it feels it feels archaic like it it doesn't feel good to play to be completely honest and it's because you can't do the things that you normally would think to do in a first person shooter and at the time you know reggie got out there and said in in the early days when just after prime 3 was uh, first shown and announced he was saying that it would revolutionize the way that people thought about first person shooters and i i don't necessarily know that it did that but it certainly made Prime feel like an actual FPS and not the first-person adventure that they had kind of stuck to um, the original Prime and, and Echoes. That's interesting. I'm Like I said, I'm coming to this uh, new, and I remember the first hour I was playing it, I was annoyed by the fact, because you used the Wiimote 
like you're effectively uh it's like the right turning stick, it yeah. to turn the camera uh, yeah. or not even the stick you're literally just moving the remote right and the stick is just to move santa's forward and so like and maybe because i'm playing with motion plus which came out a few years after this game did but like it was like almost too sensitive at times of like oh mm-hmm. i Sam is like kind of turning constantly. It's like, I'm just trying to like, I just want to look forward and I got, I'm used to it now, but it, there was a, like a rough adjustment period of like, it was almost like too disorienting, but it like, like you said, it did feel nice to be able to just like, Oh, I can just look up, down and all around now. And the game takes advantage of that by throwing enemies that are flying around around you or giving you targets that you have to hit from far away that you really didn't see in the, at least done in the first two prime yeah. games. Mm-hmm. I, there's a part of me that almost was like, I wish maybe it was, somehow mapped to a stick and not purely motion controls the uh looking have you around tried stuff. playing it without the wii motion plus i have not yet i i should try it to see how that is like i went to the motion plus course i was like well i want this to be as responsive as possible sure. right but yeah that'd be an interesting experiment to go back because i i believe i have a pre motion plus remote like the one i'm using is the one that had it built in oh okay um, yeah. yeah but i believe i have a regular wii mote around here somewhere I know you could also lock on to enemies still, yeah. which is useful. But when you locked on, you could you were locked on and they were in the center of the screen, but you could still shoot in other directions, which was kind of fun. Yeah. There was a it was a feature in the options menu where you could not look around. I don't know if you guys mess around with that, where you would lock on kind of like you did in the first two games mm-hmm. and you were pinpointed on that enemy. I kind of liked turning that on. I remember when I was playing the game, I kind of went back and forth. It was like. It's kind of nice to just not have to move around, just lock onto an enemy and shoot blast away at them. But then some enemies, some bosses, I remember you would lock onto them and you had to shoot specific parts. Yeah, there's a couple of bosses where you have to like ricochet their projectiles back to them and stuff like that that they don't allow you to lock on. Yeah, yeah. right. The first boss does that. That's interesting that you mentioned that, Ben. I have to go into the menus and try that. I didn't want to I didn't want to dig around for that stuff. Yeah, I wanted to get used to the default controls before tinkering with them. Um, But yeah, that. I would like to give it a shot because I, I actually thought it was that by default when I when they first give you the lock on, I was like just shooting without aiming. And I was like, oh, I'm still missing. I was like, oh, I still have to manually aim. It just kind of centers them, but it, right. it doesn't turn your shots into homing shots. Yeah. You know? <laughs> to just go back to the development of Metroid Prime 3, I think just really start just to look at the broad Metroid Prime series and where the series was at at the time back in 2005. So this was like right after, not long after the release of Prime 2, Nintendo worked on a Metroid Prime pinball mm-hmm. that came out on October 24th, 2005. Did you guys happen to play pinball at all? I did not. No, I've never, I've actually never played pinball. I, there was some, there was some criticism of my Metroid ranking recently <laughs> when I put it out on Twitter because people were like, where's pinball? And I was like, I didn't even know that one counted. <laughs> is that, yeah, is that like a well-received game? Yeah, people love that game. Okay. People really like it. It's from the team that did Mario Pinball mm-hmm. Land. Oh, that one. But yeah, it's a pretty solid pinball game. Mm-hmm. I I don't we're not doing a specific episode on that game, so we are not considering it part of the, you know, I guess official canon. I mean, it is part of the official canon, but it's not like I don't know, I wouldn't hold it up to the same degree that I hold up any of the prime yeah, games. Yeah, it's a pinball game. Prime. Is that like a thinking about like Yoku's Island Express? which is literally a Metroidvania with pinball. Is it that? Because it seems like that's what you would you would do or like eventually if you wanted to do Metroid pinball, is he's like Yoku kind of did that or is it just a straight up pinball game? No, it's more of a traditional pinball mm-hmm. game. It's OK. Yoku is cool. Yoku yeah. is what they should have done. Uh, have you played Yoku? Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I love that mm-hmm. game. It's such a joy and it's not super long, no. too. I think you can beat it in like a couple of mm-hmm. So check that out if you haven't, everybody. Uh, so then after Metroid Prime Pinball came out, Metroid Prime Hunters released on March 20th of 2006. So the following year. So they're they're like, hey, people seem to really like Metroid Prime. Let's run with the series. And they almost put out more stuff around Metroid Prime, like the Prime offshoot, than they did the original Metroid game franchise, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Did you guys play Hunters? I did. I did. I did play Hunters. Yeah. Really ambitious game for the, the DS. I, I remember thinking that it was like such a cool concept to have like a full blown first person shooter on a handheld console like that. How successful were they in that execution? I remember it was really well received at the time, but I, I remember it being very difficult to play. I, I, it, it definitely felt like Metroid guide in like it, you know, like there's a lot of like, Oh, this is certainly a side story, but the ramifications in that, that game, the, the some of the characters in that game 
show up in corruption as well. So like it is important to the overall Metroid Prime canon. Um, but I, I do think that it has a tendency to also get kind of overlooked because it was such a weird fit, I think, for the, the DS. I pretty much echo the same thing. I played that a few years after the fact of my DS Lite. <laughs> which may have been too small for what oh, the control small, yeah. demand of you. And I, I had the same thing of like, oh, this is cool. And like, I kind of forced myself to get through it before really ultimately falling off. But I was like, oh, the controls were almost there. There just isn't enough. There aren't enough buttons on this to make this right. work the way it needs to. If I'm remembering correctly, you were using the stylus on the touchpad yeah, right. to look around yeah. while you're moving. I remember holding it like... I would have it in my left hand and then have the stylus in my right hand. And you were kind of, I think that's what it was. Like you were using one of the shoulder triggers to shoot while like aiming with the stylus. Like I remember it was kind of a weird way you had to hold the game when you're, at least when you were in combat, when you were exploring, it's right. a bit easier. Yeah. And then if you, if you double tap the screen, you would jump or something like that. It was, it was wonky controls. The fact that you didn't have those right shoulder buttons or even the right face buttons to access very easily, I think kind of hurt the game a little bit because they, they didn't have enough buttons really yeah. that's also well that's also funny that like that was a criticism from retro about the development of corruption they you know they had come to they had started development on corruption and they had ideas and ambitions for what they wanted the game to be and then when they finally got the actual like technical specs they realized like they were going to have to scale back some of the things that they wanted to do in the game including the fact that like looking at the wii remote they said oh this has fewer buttons than we had initially anticipated so we have to rethink the way we want to lay this game out unlike previous metroid prime games you don't select which beam you're using once you get a beam upgrade that's just the upgrade that you have for the rest of the game until you get the next beam upgrade and i think that that's part of the reason that you know because there's just not enough buttons to to allow that that sort of selection on the wii remote so um th those kind of limitations i think uh kind of forced retro to rethink the way that they had originally wanted to approach corruption yeah it's a weird control scheme totally. <laughs> like, yeah. like hitting the minus button to bring up samus's visor but you have to, it's not toggle you have to hold it and then yeah. hover over the scan option if you want to scan things in the environment yeah i i can't imagine what that must have been like figuring out like what is the most comfortable way to assign all these functions with like right. what like eight buttons like not even that yeah you do have to rethink some things mm -hmm. which is I don't know. wasn't my job, but I'm sure it was hard. <laughs> so, so while these other games are coming out, keeping the dream alive of Metroid Prime, Retro continues to work on the next game, which is Metroid Prime 3. Going back, I think it was 2005, the TGS show where they first showed off the game. That's where they first showed off Metroid Prime 3. There's an article from IGN from Matt Casamassina. He talks to some of the team who worked on Metroid Prime 3. They had an interesting quote in there from Senior Director of Development Brian Walker. He said, about two months before TGS, a Revolution prototype, Revolution was the code name, yeah, in working title for the Wii before the Wii came out. Revolution prototype arrived at the developer's Austin offices, and the thing was a circuit board with wires hanging off of it. It was funny. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine like something like that shows up to your office. You're, you're at this point like a, a legitimized developer right and you just get a box with a bunch of wires hanging off of it like here it is here's the next thing make a game for it revolution <laughs> baby <laughs> well it's like yeah how do you i mean these guys are tech nerds uh, obviously they're super smart and they know what they're doing but yeah it's just like that's what the thing looks like it's just there's no art to it come yeah. on nintendo brian walker said that programmer mark hay hutchinson i hope i'm saying these names right he locked himself literally in his office and he was not even allowed to show anybody else at the studio. So only Mark was allowed to see this thing hmm. and he was working on it all the time. So for like two months straight, he worked his magic and got this prototype ready to show off. And it was really just like taking Metroid Prime 2 and converting it into being able to work on the Wii. So being able to use like the motion and basically what you think of when you play Metroid Prime 3, moving around, looking around with that Wii and we nunchuck that's what he did yeah it's certainly a proof of concept right and i wonder how much of that went into the decision making of re-releasing all three games with that control scheme as a trilogy um down the line after corruption had been released yeah they i mean they must have been like I, this is a better way to play mm -hmm. and i'm like i kind of lean in that direction i think it is a better way to play i mean prime <laughs> It's like, I, I, I know I said this earlier, but like going back to the GameCube versions of Metroid Prime, it 
ogles the mind that they decided that that was how they wanted those control schemes to work in those original games. Like it's, it's insane. Like it's crazy that it's like, okay, you'll just stop, you know, in your tracks and have to hold one shoulder button in to, to like aim around, like to free aim. It, it's crazy to me. Like it, it honestly sucks <laughs> yeah. going back to. Wow. I have to do that. Cause I, I got to the prime games about eight years after they came out, like in 2010. I remember being okay with it. Um, I think maybe I made the concession like, oh, the GameCube controller is weird. Like, well, how do you do a modern shooter with this controller? Mm-hmm. And thinking like, oh, this is probably as good as you can get. Like, it, like it's always like it would feel like crap on any other controller. It feels good specifically on the GameCube pad. Yeah. Uh, but I need to, I've been wanting to revisit those games. Now I'm afraid to. So thank you, Zach. Part of it <laughs> is our modern sensibilities where I think it's weird to shoot using a face button now because mm-hmm. we're so used to shooting with a trigger. Right. But back then, back when the first Prime came out, I don't think that had been established 100%. I know Halo was out and whatnot, but it wasn't that odd to shoot with a face button. It was is not the best way, but that's the way Nintendo chose to do mm-hmm. it. It feels a little backwards, too, because A is shoot and B is jump, but you do way more exploration, way more jumping in that game. So, it's, um, I don't know. It's interesting. The control scheme, I, I think what, what the, the sort of TLDR of the conversation that we're having here is that the control scheme in all of these Metroid Prime games not that good. <laughs> like, regardless of platform, they're all kind of wonky. Yeah, I think they could be updated for sure, which would be interesting to see if Nintendo would do the work when they release a mm-hmm. trilogy this, you know, today on a modern like Switch like console. Yeah, you mean the one's happening, right, Ben? Well, yeah, the rumor is it's <laughs> happening, but are they going to put in the work is the question. Yeah, I, I did play Prime uh, as I was playing Prime 3. I thought about that collection and like, oh, I guess if they wanted to, they could easily just replicate this just with the Joy-Cons, right? But then immediately was like, oh, God, I hope they don't do that. Because <laughs> I was like, that seems like what you would do on paper. But like, I do not want to use those tiny Joy-Cons <laughs> with these controls because it already feels a little weird on the Wii. So whether it's whether it's, you know, the rumor mill or whether it's an actual happening, like I feel like the the Metroid Prime trilogy coming to Switch is something that fans have been clamoring for since the Switch was announced and also we've heard about it over and over again, right? Like it was throughout the media and stuff. It's been like, Oh, maybe Metroid prime trilogy is being worked on somewhere. And now the new thing is like, they're actually talking about a full remaster or remake of the original Metroid prime as a standalone game. And so either way you slice it, like they have two options. They can, they can remaster those games and put them out on switch with motion controls using the joy con, like you suggested Marcus, or a similar control scheme or, or sort of a, a redesign like they did for Skyward Sword where they just completely re-up or completely update those controls to a more modern control scheme. But that also means that they'd have to rebalance the whole game because I think giving those games a more modern control scheme, um, a more traditional, uh, now current traditional FPS control scheme would make those games much easier because a lot of the challenge is tracking enemies and being able to move as fluidly as you need to to defeat some of those those enemies throughout the the trilogy and when you when you put traditional fps controls on top of that i think you could probably just like whip through those games yeah i thought of skyward sword a lot playing prime three because a lot like skyward sword it feels very mechanical fighting a lot of the enemies like those piranha plants that are clear like oh you you have to slice up and horizontal or or, yeah whatever yeah yeah like the door puzzles and and prime like oh like there's no reason sam should have to open a door by (laughs) shooting different nodes that are all these cardinal directions but they had to find again or like certain enemies that are just there's like those weird small guys in the shield that come in bunches and they Mm -hmm. their shields drop in a pattern and yeah like you said like if they just made it play like a traditional shooter like oh you would just annihilate these guys right (laughs) right it reminds me that of i've been playing resident evil 4 on vr uh-huh. on the new oculus which is fun and it's cool to see that game in vr but it's like playing resident evil 4 on easy mode because you can move around and shoot you know and you have like free aim now mm. which <laughs> when that game came out you had to like again also kind of like metroid you had to stop and move and look around and you couldn't like move and shoot at the same mm. time which i kind of forget about so that that was part of the game was designed around that you couldn't move while you were shooting. And now that you can move and shoot, it's it's so much easier. So it's, it'd be a similar challenge. I yeah. think. But I would love to see it done. Yeah, me too. All right, let's dive back into Corruption's development. There was apparently it was originally conceived as a mission based game where Samus would take on different bounty hunting tasks with her gunship and fly around to different locations, which sounds really cool. But 
Retro presented that idea to Nintendo and Nintendo did not like it, apparently. And apparently there was some division there about what Bounty Hunter meant. And Nintendo had a different idea of what bounty what a bounty hunter was. And Retro had this idea of like, well, you're you're a hired gun. People are hiring you to go collect bounties, right? Like Dog the Bounty Hunter, but in space. But Nintendo wasn't about that, apparently. <laughs> they did not think that that's what bounty hunter meant or it should mean for Samus. I mean, it's weird because she has never really felt like a bounty hunter to me in a traditional sense ever. Like we've never seen money exchange hands. We've never seen her make these deals. So, you know, she's not carrying wanted posters of people. Like it's like her lore is that she used to be with the Galactic Federation and then split to do her own thing. But then she still works for them all the time. (laughs) It's like, you're basically like, like an independent contractor that still works for them, though I, I don't understand why you even left. <laughs> in, right. In the opening cutscene of Dread, there's a really there's a, a line that I really love as she's headed to um, ZDR. Uh, uh, the AI companion in her ship tells her the risk outweighs the reward here, and yeah. like that really stuck with me because it's like, yeah, that's every Metroid game. <laughs> like <laughs> every time she's gonna land somewhere, the risk outweighs the reward. And Samus is like, well, I'm gonna do it anyway. You know. <laughs> I also wonder, like, is Samus rich? If she's a bounty hunter and she's always successful, rich. is she Absolutely, like? Yeah. You think so? <laughs> like, I just imagine how much the maintenance, the upkeep on that that uh, suit costs. You know, she's got to be loaded. Like, has to be. Is she just like space Batman? Is that it? Like she's just rich and she affords all this stuff and builds all this tech herself and she's just in it for, I don't know, the thrill. She's, like a, tro- or she's like a Chozo trust fund kid, you know? Like it's like, does she have like a Laura Croft mansion that she goes back to? Right. Like a butler? Right. <laughs> I would love to. That's what they should do in the next Metroid. Maybe in Prime 4 even. Maybe we could see like, what is her home like? Or does she have a home base that she goes back to and re-equip? What is stuff? she spending her bounty money on? <laughs> Well, or yeah, again, because like Nintendo's like, well, she's not like really collecting hunts. She's more of a mercenary, mm-hmm. but presumably she's getting paid or something. Right. I would, I would hope when so. The Federation's <laughs> like, hey, Samus, we're sending you in. OK, where's the contract? What are you giving me? She's not like just yeah. doing this because I mean, she's probably doing it because she's, I don't know, a noble person. Oh, no. Is Samus getting paid? Is she getting paid in exposure? She's oh, no. getting exposed to a lot of parasites. Oh, right. I think the Metroid series is just a metaphor for freelancing. It turns out certainly there. There is an interesting quote again from that IGN article. Just about Samus and what they how they viewed Samus. This is again from Brian Walker says Samus could best be summarized, at least in my mind, as Boba Fett with a sense of honor. Mm. Everybody here is bounty hunter. And of course, Boba Fett is synonymous with that for a good reason. He's a very compelling character. But Samus has a sense of compassion and honor where she's not in it for the money. So maybe our theory is correct. She does it to protect humanity and her upbringing being raised by the Chozo gave her that sense of nobility that I think many characters lack. She's a superhero, then. basically. Yeah. I, th- I think we're right. I think she's bad yeah. in space. Yeah. She's technically, yeah. She's not in it for the bounty. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about um, even into the development of the third game, Nintendo was, you know, putting the kibosh on Retro's concepts because um, Retro had early in the development of Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, they had wanted to create an open world game. And maybe this kind of feeds in with what you're talking about in terms of like, um, objective-based or mission-based structure, right? Like Samus pilots through an open world, you maybe pick up side quests and things like that and then, you know, navigate to these side quests. Um, but even in the original game's development, um, it took several tries for Retro to present to Nintendo, like, this is how this game will be, or this, this is an area that we're working on. And Nintendo continually shot them down and was like, no, try again, no, try again, no, try again, until they finally hit one, you know, one concept, one idea that Nintendo was like, this is it. This is the one that you run with. The open world portion of, uh, or the open world idea of corruption was kind of shot down because of the hardware limitations on the Wii. But I also wonder if this wasn't tied into that as well of Nintendo being like, no, 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 that's not what Metroid is. Like, it needs to be this thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Because when I think of the 2D Metroid games, and Dread's a good example, or Super Metroid, They're not like, I guess, traditional open worlds, but they do have that sense of 
the freedom where you can go anywhere. <laughs> and it's not an exact freedom because you're limited from going certain places until you get certain items. But it definitely feels free. It's it's in that spirit of like, oh, I, I'm just exploring and I can go down this path or this path. It's kind of up to me. So that doesn't feel out of line in my mind with an open world game, or I think you could probably do an open world game in, in that way. You know, certainly, you know, Batman Arkham City tried to merge the two, the Metroid sensibilities with an open world game. And I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think it could have been. I don't know. Uh, it's notable that Metroid Prime 3 was the first game in the Metroid series which utilized full voice acting. We talked about Prime yeah. 2 had some VO, it was very limited, but then Prime 3, you meet characters and they have full-on dialogue and you interact with them. And at first, that kind of turned me off when I first started playing the game and you're interacting with all these characters. And it takes a while before you're actually isolated. Mm -hmm on your own so and i thought i was like oh i'm a little worried that they're going to make this too story heavy or focus too much on these characters and they're going to be chatting to me the whole time because that in my mind isn't metroid but what did you guys think about that the characters that you meet so early on you know i mentioned that it does it does a lot of things right or it improves a lot of things about the first two games and then it gets kind of some things wrong and i think that that i think that this is one of the things that it sort of gets wrong because you're right the, the isolation aspect of Metroid, like that, that to me is what Metroid really is about, is this lone bounty hunter doing it, you know, figuring it out for herself, like getting out there and like really being by herself and being isolated. And I think the first Metroid Prime game, especially, is like such a lonely game. That game just like both in terms of, you know, the actual companionship throughout the course of the game, because there is none. But also the tone that they set, the music that they play, like it's a very somber sort of lonely game. And I feel like Prime 3, especially at the beginning, doesn't have that. It is a real tonal shift for the series. I think, you know, a lot of the, the comparison that I've heard for like Prime 3 is kind of a summer blockbuster compared to the first two games where Retro really pulled out all the stops and they were like, this is going to be a, a narrative heavy game. And overall, yeah. like it's really interesting one of the most interesting things about the Metroid series is how different iterations have either stepped on the gas or pulled way back with, in terms of narrative, like how story heavy do we really want to make this? Like obviously on one end of the spectrum, you've got other M, which is just like way, way too much story. And then on the other end, you've got like super Metroid, which has some story, but it's just bits and pieces sort of doled out throughout. And then in the middle, you've kind of got the prime games and Metroid dread. And um, I think that the first two games, do something a little more interesting and in terms of like delivering the story through your scanning and you know like uh chozo lore and space pirate lore and things like that but the third game just kind of hands it to you right like prime corruption definitely is just like okay this is what the story is here it is with full cutscenes, full voice acting etc and I, while i like the story i do think it is kind of to to the detriment of the game overall yeah it was jarring yeah. to hear voices <laughs> the first time i sorry i was not expecting that the only like the beginning, like you said, it's very action heavy and it's very like they pretty much hand a narrative mm -hmm. to you on the silver platter. Like, here's what's happening. We're going to tell you exactly the problem here. I It was kind of cool. when We'll get into this when we talk about the lore to see other bounty hunters and see them interact. Like it reminded me of Boba Fett's debut in Empire Strikes Back. Right. He's in the room with it's like Bosk and IG-88. And yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is just this pretty right. much. And all those it was like X-Men, like all the bounty hunters have their own powers. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is the ice guy. Well, yeah, I was going to say that one guy is just Iceman. Yeah. And also <laughs> uh, the other detriment of there being voices is that it reinforced that I pronounce her last name wrong, I guess. Like, because everyone says Sarah's Aaron. And in my brain forever, I've mm -hmm. always said Aran, like Samus Aran. And so, like, I did not appreciate being told that I was wrong uh, constantly for that first what hour. What if that's an American thing? Because I grew up saying Samus Aran, too. It just kind of sounds cooler to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because that's just how I chose to yeah. say it. But hearing Samus Aran, I was like, that's I just yeah. want to like, that's not my name. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's not my name. <laughs> Put some respect on yeah, that. Come on. Named after uh, who's the footballer she was named after again? Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> uh no it was uh pele yeah pele of all really yeah apparently they thought pele's last name was iran oh apparently the developers back in 87 or whatever Whoa, that's wild yeah little little tidbit uh. for you 
Yeah, going back to the the story, I I don't mind that a Metroid game has VO in it. I don't even mind if they want to like go more story heavy, they can. I just think their implementation of it in Prime 3 was not at all tonally what I expected. I think mm. something like a Denis Villeneuve or how do you say his last name? That's you're close. I yeah, I I hear it pronounced different all the time, so yeah. Prime 3 felt a little bit wackier like Saturday morning cartoon level narrative and it just was a tonal shift that felt off. Then you just gave me something I didn't know I wanted, a Metroid film directed by Dennis Villeneuve. That sounds real good actually. I, I think it's a good fit honestly. I think that tone matches what I want. Again, once you get out of those first couple of hours where you meet the bounty hunters and it's like, here's this guy you're going to fight later. Here's this guy you're going to fight later. Then it shifts and you're more isolated and by yourself. And I think it, it settles into the classic Metroid mm-hmm. isolated moody feeling. I think it just takes you a little while to get there. Yeah, That's fair. We talked about the fact that you would be going to different locations. You can use your ship in this game to fly to different locations and even different worlds which I think is a first for the series. Mm-hmm. I guess you start on the space station in prime one, but you, you, you don't go back and forth and you don't go to different worlds. Right. And I thought it was really cool. It's like, Hey, I'm in a solar system and I'm going to go to this moon now, or I can choose to fly to this other place. It's not exactly open world, but it was cool that you could go to different locations. Did you guys like that? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting kind of bouncing back and forth between these, these, you know, different planets and stuff like that. And I also really love the interaction with the ship. Once you get the command visor, I think it's kind of cool that you can call in your ship to like blow stuff up or like open doors or whatever. Like I thought that was really nice. Um, my, my only issue with the three different planets is like in the first game, especially when you think about like Magmore caverns versus the Fendrana drifts versus like the phase caves, like those have very distinct looks and feels and, and vibes. And I think all three of the planets in this game, like they're different, but not, different enough they all kind of feel similar like they all kind of feel a little too similar and they all kind of have a, a very similar color palette and things so it, like the environments themselves are not broken up enough for me but i think that the the idea of planet hopping is like a really cool thing in a metroid game so do you think those that works better in the 2d games because that it, it reminds me of just the prime version of what the like fusion and, and dread have done of like instead of it being one giant interconnected world it's like they're all divided mm-hmm. into different biomes that you have to fast travel to or right. find elevators uh for do you think it just for the 3d games it doesn't work as well as for the 2d I games think it would work i think it would work better if there was just more like diversity in the environments you know like i think if if prime 3 had had a similar artist art direction to the first two prime games and had you know, just like more distinct areas I think it would it would have maybe felt a little bit more organic. It would have felt a little bit better. See that a little bit. I think the one area that definitely impressed me when I first played it was the Space Pirate Homeworld. Mm-hmm. You go to the Space Pirate Homeworld for the first time, and it's this desolate dystopia that's just full of acid rain, and it's a destroyed city. And that, in my mind, is something I don't remember seeing in a Metroid game before, and it definitely felt like its own unique biome. I like that area. You think they move out of there? <laughs> planet seems problematic maybe they, yeah their their acid well went bad it's bad water there it is maybe they just drink acid that would explain why they're so grumpy all the time yeah i think you gotta be pretty tough to be a space pirate it's probably like the initiation right remember that movie signs where the aliens come and they show up and they're allergic to water or yeah. whatever uh-huh. do you think they were just space pirates yeah. probably <laughs> that was the metroid film that uh and my Shyamalan was working on yeah, this that was time. the Metroid film we got, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a prequel. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting, during the development of Metroid Prime 3, Retro felt that they had made Metroid Prime 2 too hard, or, or there was some debate over the difficulty, right? Prime 2 was very hard. It's the hardest one in the series. So they felt that they should ease up on the difficulty a little bit, and that actually encouraged them to create multiple difficulties. Uh, hyper mode. So that's the first, yeah. Well, we should talk about hyper mode too, but even just like there was different difficulties you could select at the beginning of the game, which is a first for the series. And I, has there been another Metroid game that lets you pick a difficulty? Uh, Dread has. I guess, yeah, you unlock hard mode. That's a good point. Yeah, it's maybe, it's maybe a bit of a course correction. I mean, Metroid Prime 2 is hard as hell. Like that game is tough. Um, 
And so I think maybe it's like a, a little bit of an overcorrection with Prime 3 because I think Prime 3 is actually pretty easy in, in terms of um, the, Metroid ser- the Metroid Prime series. But I also think that that could be due in part just because it controls so much better than the other two games. Mm. So there's, there's probably something a little bit in there as well. The hard mode in Metroid Prime Corruption is really tough too. So I, you know, it kind of depends on how difficult you want to make the game, obviously choosing different difficulty levels, but I, I don't know that they really nailed it because the normal campaign too easy hyper mode, like almost too hard. <laughs> so there's no like middle ground. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I don't think I'll ever say no to multiple difficulties in any game. Um, so it wasn't, it was something I looked at. I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, I like, Make it as accessible as you feel you need to be as long as it's balanced well, which it sounds like what you're saying, Zach, maybe they could have done better yeah. on that. Well, they went back and I know they rebalanced Metroid Prime 2 for the trilogy and made it yeah. a little bit easier. Um, I wonder, you know, I never played Prime 3 through the trilogy. I wonder if there's a, a rebalance there as well. You, I mean, talking about hyper mode, there's also the ability that Samus has called hyper mode where she can activate. I mean, she basically goes Super Saiyan. I don't know how else to describe it, but her, her attacks become super powerful. Mm-hmm. While you're in that mode, you're burning health, which is a cool idea. I, I found that, and one of the criticisms of the game was that if you just activate it really quick, you can destroy a bunch of enemies before your health burns up too much. So you can kind of turn it on and off. It's a little too free in that sense and makes the game a little bit easier if you just spam hyper mode. Do you guys like hyper mode? I think it's like a cool risk reward kind of mechanic. Um, it ironically, I mean, hyper mode is more, I think it's better utilized in actual hyper mode, the difficulty mode, because your enemies also use it much more frequently as well. So it forces you to, to kind of play with that risk reward mechanic in the harder version of the game. But I think it's a cool concept. Like I like the narrative construction behind it. You know, Samus is corrupted by Phazon from dark Samus. So she has to essentially like vent the Phazon that she's generating to go into this hyper mode. So it kills her, but it also makes her so much stronger. Um, yeah. I think that's cool. Um, but yeah, I think you're right because often I, if memory serves me correctly, when you kill enemies in hyper mode, they also drop more health. So it does kind of, it, it is a little bit imbalanced there. Yeah. I'm sure they had to balance it just so, I mean, you are burning health, which in my mm-hmm. mind, whenever there's a game mechanic where I'm burning health, I almost never want to use it. So I was tempted not to use it, but it is pretty OP finding that balance where it's like, Hey, this is, you should be using this and don't feel guilty about it because you can earn that health back, but not making it too easy. That's a hard tight wire rope. To yeah. Walk. There was a, an interview somewhere where Kinsuke Tanabe, who was the producer on the Nintendo side was talking about this. Sounds like it was sort of his baby. He really liked this idea that Samus is slowly becoming corrupted in the game. And that's, sort of energizing her in some way so she can tap into this power but it also sort of turns her monstrous when she does it so she's slowly becoming literally corrupted right tension on the retro side where they for some reason didn't fully like that idea of her becoming corrupted Uh, and so what they settled on was this hyper mode mode where you could just turn it on you were burning health so it was in a sense hurting you but also it was also very useful it's a it's a concept that I think Tanabe has come back to multiple times throughout the course of the Metroid franchise. Like obviously Metroid Fusion, Samus is corrupted with the SAX virus. Um, and then I won't get too deep into Metroid Dread as a new release, but like that's a that's a big factor in Metroid Dread and especially plays into the ending of that game. For sure. Yeah. Do you like uh, have you messed around with hyper mode much, Marcus, while you've been playing it? No, not much. Uh, it, yeah, so I, I haven't gotten really a handle on like strategically how to use it like long-term, but I mean, yeah, like you said, like they've done like thematically things like that before. I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of with Zach. Like, I think it's a cool idea, like that risk reward. Um, it looks cool. So it's got that going for it. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, like so far I, I don't have any issue with it personally. One thing I, last time we called uh, Metroid prime Two kind of the redheaded stepchild of the, of the series, or at least the prime series. And uh, within the first like hour and a half of playing that, I almost wondered like, I wonder if Prime Three fits that better. And that's not necessarily to say that it's a bad game. Like, you know, that same moniker applies to Mario Two, and I think that game's great. Uh, American Mario Two, uh, just because of like the motion controls and and stuff like like this feels like 
this feels like the weirdo of the series. Why did Echoes get that <laughs> that distinction? Just I guess yeah, just I, because it's hard. But I think Prime One and Two are more similar to each other than Prime Three. Like if there's an outlier in this in the Prime series, I think it's this one. Yeah, I just I was fascinated by that, and I was like, I wonder where that how that be like where that sentiment came from. Well, I think part of that's um, the difficulty, obviously. I think it's also that Prime Two is the least popular of the three it was the least played certainly the least purchased of all three that's wild to me just knowing how like hardcore fans kind of like feel about the wii and, and motion controls and you know granted the wii wasn't that old at the time prime came out it seems like like even though it's a great game it feels like that would be the one they would look at it's like oh i hope they never do this again because of like you know they took the thing that i love and put these these motion these gross motion controls in it and you know like i don't want that like but no it's it's not looked back like that and i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm surprised by that actually which i'm not saying it deserves to be looked back down on like i'm having fun with it so far i'm just kind of again i'm just like knowing how again the attitude towards a wii i'm just surprised it's yeah. interesting especially given the wii's install base too you know like it sold so well that you'd think like I think that's one of the interesting things about the Switch is that first-party games on the Switch are just like popping off every time there's a first-party release because that attach rate is so high. But that doesn't didn't seem to be the case with the Wii. You know, like it it sold a ton of units in terms of the console, but like what was the attach rate with those games? Did people just buy it just to play Wii Sports? You know, like I think that was it. Like everybody was playing Wii Sports, or there was that flood of, of here's 50 games on the Wii. That I, I remember. There were just a at the time you'd go to the store and you'd see just a ton of compilations or stuff like Cooking Mama, the just like the mm-hmm. super easy here's something to interact with type games. That was for some reason what was popular and what was selling on the Wii, but not the hardcore stuff. I mean, Metroid Prime Three sold well enough, and I'm sure you know Skyward Sword and some of the Mario Galaxy sold okay. But yeah, I don't. It is interesting. I don't think you can compare it one to one with the Switch, like you're saying. Yeah, I'm sure there was a retirement home somewhere where someone's grandma was really kicking butt in Metroid Prime 3. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. That would be awesome, actually. Do you think there's a retirement home that still has their Wii hooked up and that people oh, still use it? Oh, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. My mom still has hers hooked up, despite I don't think she's ever, like, has used it in probably like 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> But it's still plugged into the TV for some reason. Yeah, my in-laws, I think they still have theirs hooked up. They were using theirs to watch Netflix for a long, long time. That's what my parents bought one uh, because they wanted to play Wii Sports and then it just ended up being a Netflix machine. That's really funny. Yeah, Yeah, it's weird that that was the Netflix machine. Right, yeah. I I forgot that you could even watch Netflix on it. But you can on the Switch, which is odd. Yeah. (laughs) You can finally watch Twitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we're good on gameplay. Marcus, you want to do some some story time yeah story time metroid prime 3 corruption it takes place six play uh six months rather after the events of metroid prime 2 echoes and like we mentioned before it begins with samus who is called upon the galactic federation that she doesn't actually work for but also totally works for uh they've got a big old ship called the olympus and she's joined by other bounty hunters named uh rundis gore and Gandreda? And who was your favorite? Oh, I mean, gotta go with Rundus. I mean, can't s- shut up about that one. Who, who was Gore like? the ice guy? I don't know. <laughs> no, Gore, Gore is the, the cyborg with the giant mech suit. Okay. I think Rundus is the ice like, guy. Rundus, it, I think, I is the ice guy, yeah. He's like, I'm playing it. I can't remember which ones are which. <laughs> the girl was the one who could like turn invisible. Yeah, she could, she could, she could turn um, into people. She's like a metamorph, like she can morph into different, you know, like whatever she sees or whatever she can she can turn into. I I really like her because in the opening, like the first time you meet her, she's morphed into Samus. Like Samus yeah. walks in the room and like there's just another Samus there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, she's cool. Let's give let's get Gandreda a game. You, if you could shape shift and you just turn into anybody, would you do that to screw with people? Just turn into themselves? Is that the best way to screw with somebody? I mean, that's one of them. <laughs> It seems really like, like it seems really gutsy to do that, you know. You wouldn't just turn into somebody like I don't know, Tom Cruise or somebody, just like yeah, what? right. Tom Cruise in my house, like what? It's a good way to mess with people and make them have maybe have an existential crisis of sorts, have <laughs> face themselves. Uh, 
Yeah, so why if not? you could do that in the real world, I probably would turn into Samus, and they'd be like, "What the heck? Who are you?" Oh. <laughs> if we could turn into fictional people, yeah, I was like, "I'm just gonna be Batman." <laughs> that sounds pretty good. So yeah, these uh, the, this quartet of bounty hunters are summoned because there is a computer virus infecting these organic supercomputers known as Aurora units, and the Galactic Federation wants them to wipe out this virus. Uh, these computers can talk. They're pretty much sentient. And uh, during this big meeting, the ship is attacked by space pirates and everything goes to hell real fast. And as everyone's kind of running around trying to figure out what to do, Samus learns that the assault is uh, or learns that there is a meteor infused with phase on again, three prime games in a row where meteors have been a a thing. It's called the Leviathan Seed and it's going to crash on planet Norian. So she and the other bounty hunters activate some base defense systems, but Dark Samus shows up, as we talked about last week. If you got all the items at the end of uh, Echoes, you got a cutscene that revealed that Dark Samus did survive the end of the game. And she shows up and pretty much just wrecks all of them, knocks all of them out. Uh, Samus is able to activate the defense system, but not before uh, getting knocked unconscious where she awakens a month later back on the Olympus ship to find out that she has been corrupted by Dark Samus's Phazon. And so she is given a special device called the Phazon Enhancement Device, or PED for short, that allows her to harness the Phazon within her and use it as a weapon, as we talked about earlier. And her, But she finds out the other bounty hunters are missing, so her mission becomes to find them. Well, it turns out they too have been corrupted by Phazon, and she needs to investigate the other planets that were hit by Leviathan seeds in the process. And so she visits two of them, finding out that the seeds are destroying the planets from within, but that destroying them will reverse the process. She fights space pirates along the way, as well as uh, like creatures corrupted by Phazon, and of course, her now ex-allies who have become completely corrupted by the Phazon. But along the way, Samus herself gradually becomes more and more corrupted by the Phazon too. So it's a bit of a race against the clock. If you were being corrupted by something called hyper mode, what do you think it would be? Would it be like Street Fighter 2, like a turbo mode thing, where maybe you just, you just move faster, you could do things quicker? Like are you just flash at a certain point? At that point, is it really corruption? Yeah, or is that just like a bonus? I mean, yeah. I mean, what is, isn't anything, any foreign element in your body that slowly takes it over, isn't that all a form of corruption? That doesn't necessarily have to be a negative connotation. Like, is Spider Man corrupted by radioactive spider DNA? (laughs) Well, anytime you put foreign stuff into your body, so like anytime I eat Taco Bell. Yeah, you are corrupting your body. You're for sure corrupted by Taco Bell. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It tastes good, but, you know, <laughs> but it is slowly killing you. <laughs> <laughs> I, and now I want to I'm going to play the rest of this game uh, and replace phase on with Taco Bell. Nice. What Samus is dealing with. They should do some kind of tie in. They could release some mm-hmm. kind of like dark phase on nachos. At Taco Bell. I'd be into that. <laughs> oh, wait till wait till Prime 4 gets re-revealed. You'll see it. The Metro yeah. Prime 4 value box <laughs> for five dollars. Five dollar phase on box. Oh, I want that now. Uh, it's lunchtime here. So, yes, yeah, Samus eventually, as you mentioned earlier, Ben, visits the space pirate homeworld for the first time ever. We get to see where these weirdos live, and it is a, a hellscape <laughs> um, befitting, I guess, of the, the rough and rugged space pirates. And she stops an assault on Federation troops there and manages to steal one of their battleships that she and the rest of her uh, allies use to create a wormhole that takes them to the source of all Phazon in the galaxy called Planet Phase. It has two Several A's. A's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many meetings do you think they had to talk about what they were going to call that? Yo, what if we called it Planet Phase, yo? And they were like, we could probably come up with other ideas, but we're on the clock, so let's just... Why not? Let's roll. It sounds like an esports team, honestly. Right. Oh, it totally does. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Team Phase made it to the Dota Championships last year. So, yeah, they get to a uh, planted phase where Sam is uh, 
fights her way to the core of the planet where she encounters Dark Samus once again, but for the final time because they engage in a just an epic fight where Samus comes out on top. She also battles a corrupted aura unit uh, number 3131 after that, but I guess makes that the real final boss of this game. And uh, this causes a uh, planet phase to explode, which uh, has lasting effects because it renders all of the phase on the galaxy uh, inert, basically. And the Federation escapes, but they lose contact with Samus. But it's OK. She eventually reemerges in her gunship. Mission accomplished. Big old banner. Big old thumbs up. But it is a bittersweet victory because, of course, Sam's uh, fellow bounty hunters did not make it. Um, I guess they were friends. I'm, I didn't really get that vibe, but I guess, you know, I guess Sam is just as compassionate in general. I was like, I don't know the history between these guys, but she I guess she likes them enough to return to planet uh, Alicia to basically mourn them, which is a nice little emotional like element to her character. I think the only thing she's mourned up to this point was her pet Metroid. And that serves as the end of the game. Unless, of course, once again, you finish the game with every item collected because you are then treated to a cutscene where Samus flies into hyperspace. But she is followed by the spaceship of one Silux, who, if you did not play Metroid Prime Hunters, you probably have no idea who this character is. But if you did play Hunters, he was one of the other rival bounty hunters in there but apparently hates the galactic federation and samus by extension and so like he's basically hunting samus down and follows her into this wormhole which a lot of fans think will be kind of the central conflict in prime four it's another boba fett moment just going back to that where you know was it empire strikes back where he shows up his ship's been sitting there and like follows yeah it's in the asteroid field when when han solo and and leia and chewbacca escape on the uh they're in the millennium falcon in the asteroid field and they take off and then boba fett's ship just kind of peels off of the star destroyer and follows after them it reminded me of that for some reason yeah have you guys ever seen silex do you uh, like do you remember how he looks when he played hunter he looks like a space pirate like, like looking at looking at his armor, like today I had to look him up because I was like, who was that character at the end? Because I remember, you know, I he was in Hunters. Um, but yeah, he his armor sort of looks like um, Space Pirates from the Prime series. Cy Lux, more like Cy Sucks, right? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't Nailed look it. that cool to me. <laughs> Maybe, like when I, I looked him, because I had forgotten about him too. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy. And I was like, man, he, I don't know. Maybe it was just the fidelity at the time. I was like, man, he could, I, if he is in prime form, maybe they update him a little bit. <laughs> He's a little bland to me. Well, it's hard. It's got to be hard to design a new character and be like, this character is important and has an iconic look. It feels like they stumbled into it with Samus to some degree. It just, I don't know, in some ways, limitations of the hardware back in the day, they had to like give her those shoulder pads, but it just stuck. And now she has such an interesting iconic look so to come up with something else that's that's equally as iconic what do you do you just make a dark i mean samus. even her like i say her main antagonist is just another samus <laughs> um like yeah and silas like i said if you did not play hunters he is an interesting or at least conceptually an interesting character of like someone that has it out for samus like on a personal level i feel like everyone that samus has fought has been like with the exception of Ridley, it, it's kind of like the the enemy of the month for Samus. Like, there's no real personal stakes necessarily. It's like, oh, you're, I have a job to do. You're the thing I have to get through to get it done. Maybe you do something that maybe mildly angers me, but otherwise, it's kind of just business as usual for her. Um, so yeah, outside of Ridley, which has personal connection because Ridley murdered her family, then yeah, to have a, it, it's kind of I like the idea of having someone that just like no, I hate. I hate Samus, even though it seems like his hate, it's more like I hate the Galactic Federation and you like you're just tied to them. So like maybe Prime 4 will flesh out that um, that relationship a bit of like, oh, you always one up me or something or like 
you got all the good bounties or just just something there. And I got um, all the recessive bounties. <laughs> they sent me to Pikmin planet or you got to go to the cool planet. <laughs> I had to hunt Olimar, which again, we're still putting that out there. Nintendo, you should. I would still play that game. Connect those universes. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is uh, the end of Metroid prime three and effectively that is where we are left hanging until prime four comes out hopefully in our lifetime whenever yeah sometime (laughs) yeah we're recording this we're recording this in the middle of november i'm not sure when this goes up but you know the the idea every every time an e3 or the game awards comes around it's like okay is this it are we finally going to see metroid prime four and i would love for there to be some kind of Metroid Prime Four, something at the Game Awards, but uh, you know it remains to be seen. It's been a long time, four years plus, since we saw Metroid Prime Four, and that was just a title screen. You know, like it wasn't even it was just a card. Like it, so, who yeah. knows? I've got it. All right, so Game Awards, they open up right. They've got an, a big orchestra arranged, mm. and they start okay. playing the Metroid Prime theme. Right, great. The curtain pulls back, and it. you get a big cinematic shot of silas's face and everybody is so confused everybody's <laughs> like who the fuck who is that who is that uh, yeah. i am interested to see if they i mean they, they almost have to like go with silux in prime four at this point i would think i would hope so <laughs> they set it up i'm curious to see his redesign i'm sure they'll redesign him somehow he'll look pretty cool hopefully and he'll probably be voiced right if they're kind of going the direction of doing more voices I, troy baker probably um, yeah, there's a there's an article from uh, Eurogamer from 2015 where they interviewed Tanabe about the ending of Metroid Prime 3, and he says that he he would like to explore the relationship between Samus and Silux in Metroid Prime 4, but at that time he said that it wouldn't be coming to the Wii U, which obviously, clearly not, um, and that the, he would potentially develop it develop that story for the the NX if we remember that the Nintendo mm. Switch was originally called the NX. So. Right. It seems yeah. like that's a, a pretty sure thing that Metroid Prime 4 will explore that the dynamic between those two characters. Well, cool. I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited for Metroid Prime 4. Did you guys like Prime 3 story since you guys are have technically finished it and I'm still working through it? I, I mean, I feel the same about Prime 3 story as I feel about any Metroid story. Like there are some interesting things to it, but ultimately it's just in service of really great gameplay. Like. I, I feel like I, I really like Metroid lore and I like the Metroid story, but I, I also feel like they're, they're not like, they're not 10 out of 10 narratives. You know what I mean? It, they're not really right. breaking the mold. It, it, they're always doing not, I won't say rote or, but it's like very tropey science fiction. You know what I mean? Um, so I think the story is good. I think it, it, the story works in service to the overall game. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's like a banger or anything. Yeah serviceable is a good way to put it i agree i i would be happy if they want to like double down and like let's really go into the narrative and do something interesting but again as long as that narrative sort of fits the tone of the game it needs to be a little bit haunting a little bit darker Mm -hmm. is what they need to do and and that's the problem with three is it just felt a little bit too colorful not that i want it to be super dark and grim but i just want it to fit what i what metroid is yeah i think that's what i think that's what dread does so well you know yeah, i think absolutely. dread has the perfect amount of narrative versus stuff that's kind of told to you organically throughout the course of just playing the game i i think that that as overall the franchise has had a really hard time balancing how much story they want to tell you from from I- I- entry to entry um i think dread like finally really got it right so yeah i agree with that they should uh It'd be great if they, instead of remaking or re-releasing the Prime trilogy, they're like, we're remaking Hunters so you guys can know who Silas is when Prime comes out. Right. Silas? Isn't it Silux? It is. Is it Silux? Yeah. I'm thinking like Silas. I'm thinking like Cy, almost like Cyrus the Virus from like Hackers. <laughs> Silas is his first name. Uh, okay. Silas Silux. Silas Silux. Yeah. Real Mario Mario situation. Maybe it was supposed to sound like Stylus because he debuted on a DS game. Maybe it was like a nod. Stylin, Silas, Silex collects shells by the seashore. Well, yeah, that's that's Metroid Prime 3 Corruption. Came out on August 27th, 2007. 
it was a good game i would argue it uh by march of 2008 it had sold 1.31 million copies so more than the second game in the series which is wild and i would say it's it's still good. I, I think it's worth playing back. You know, we did talk about there's some of the repetitive stuff of the motion control stuff. I think if they iron that out, it's a really solid game. It'd be fun to play it along with the trilogy. I think it's it's totally worth going back if you have the means to play the first three before Prime Prime Four comes out. 2007 is an interesting year, which we talked about. It's only two years removed. The release of Prime Three was two years removed from Batman Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. which came out in 2009. Mm. which is another gigantic game that took some Metroid formula and ran with it in its own special way. The entire Batman Arkham series has existed between the release of Prime 3 and Prime (laughs) 4, which is fun to think about. And we get all of these, you know, Metroid 2D style indie games, all those Metroidvania games. We get a lot Mm. of them in 2D. We don't get a lot of them in 3D, which is interesting. I I can't think of a ton of games that explore the 3d metroid formula outside of batman so i bet we get, I, I bet we get that i think it's purely a generational thing the way that we're kind of only now starting to see ps1 era kind of tributes in that style i think once that generation that grew up with the gamecube become start becoming game developers i, I think we'll maybe start seeing that more. I've, I've yet to play it but i have a lot of people in my mentions telling me to play returnal because returnal is the closest thing to like a metroid prime game um Oh, People yeah. say that Returnal has heavy, heavy Metroid Prime vibes in, in that same way. So um, I'm interested in checking that out. But yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I would recommend it as well. We talked a little about it a little bit last week. It is kind of like a Metroid if Metroid were a rogue like mm-hmm. take on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a good game. And that's another good example of like set that tone, set that storytelling into a Metroid game. And I'd be really all for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd even say to a lesser extent, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, that map is straight up Metroid Prime. And that's that's a Metroid Mania too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So there are some. I am curious to see how Prime 4 runs with the ball, considering all the stuff that's been going on. It's a lot of growing up to do between that game, this game, sorry, Metroid Prime 3, and whenever 4 inevitably comes out. I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned and just in terms of like, what modern game, what modern 3D Metroids can be, what modern FPSs feel like. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see w- what sensibilities they pick up and what they hold on to, you know? Yeah, especially post-Dread. Yeah. Like, I know there are two different styles, but I think Dread has some cool ideas that, like, like the melee parry stuff, like, I wouldn't mind seeing that in first person. Like, I would that's be a shocked mechanic. if there wasn't, especially considering the reception for Dread, I'd be shocked if there wasn't some sort of, like, melee counter something in, in Prime 4. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Yep. And maybe, yeah, maybe when Prime 4 comes out, we'll have you back on, Zach. Right on. Do another episode. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that'll mostly do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode, guys. Please like and subscribe. Please leave us a review right into us. We're in at the point where we are trying to decide what our next series will be after we're done with Metroid. So feel free to write in podcastgamereformer.com. Give us some suggestions. Maybe we could do Batman Arkham. That'd be kind of fun. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Sky's the limit. So write in, let us know. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. You can follow me at Marcus Stewart seven on Twitter. That's the number seven. You can follow me at Zacharias D on Twitter and on Twitch, where I stream Tuesday, Thursday nights and Saturday mornings. Very smooth. Anything else you want to promote? While you're at it? <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> Thanks for letting me plug Great. my stuff. <laughs> no, absolutely. Love it. I think that does it for us. Come back next week. We'll be talking about a very interesting topic, Metroid Other M. The one you've been waiting for. Good luck. Yeah. What do you think, Marcus? Oh, he's doing two thumbs down. <laughs>